Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shalom, I 
Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Oh, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos.
JM in the AM. Oh, we started with a nice collection of uh, Lecha Dodi and Bowie Vishalom today, didn't we? Yeah, well, why not? Uh, ben Sion Solomon with Lecha Dodi. You heard the same from Leif Tahar. Eitan Katz, Leviathan, Yaakov Shweki with their Bowie Vishalom versions. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this December the 14th, the 6th of Teves. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayigash. Mazal Tov to Dr. Mark Singer. His Ufruf is tomorrow. It's supposed to pour in the New York area, and yet it will still in no way put any damper on the big celebration. How do you like that? That's how powerful and incredible he is and how much Simcha there's going to be this Shabbos in Queens, New York. And no matter what the weather, no way a damper. Everyone's going to be absolutely thrilled. So the big Ufruf is tomorrow. Mazal Tov to Mark. Mazal Tov to Toby. Mazal Tov to... Uh, to everybody, all their relatives and friends, it's going to be a wonderful simcha as we get set for the upcoming wedding, Bezrat Hashem. Candle lighting at 4.09 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayigash, 4.09 here in New York. Tuesday is Asara Bateves. Keep that in mind. It's a fast day on Tuesday. 44 degrees outside, 83% humidity, winds northeast at 8. Clearing today, excuse me, cloudy today with a high of 52. And the rain starts tonight, low 47. Showers tomorrow, a high. 51 degrees. Right now, 58 in Yerushalayim. We're at 44 here in New York as we say good morning and start wishing everybody a wonderful Shabbos here at JM and AM. Big day today. Malcolm Honeline at 740 with the weekly update. We'll do that again 740 Eastern time this morning. 815 for Rabbi Yudin. Coming up at 720, I am so looking forward to speaking with Donnie Menken. He is the director of a brand new documentary called On the Map about the 1977 Maccabi Tel Aviv European Cup Final Championship. It is an unbelievable piece of history. I watched the documentary between yesterday and early this morning. It is simply spectacular. and The way they did it is just great. If you are into this stuff like I am and you know how into it I am, uh, you will absolutely love it. I, I It's just uh, it's amazing. So. I'll, we'll get the details at 7.20 this morning, how you can watch a documentary, et cetera, et cetera. It's amazing. So uh, that's coming up also in the 7 o'clock hour here at JM and the AM. Full day on our network. A lot of stuff. Naomi with a great brand new show. Mark with a brand new Arab Shabbos show. A lot of, lot of big things going on today all the way until candle lighting times. Just keep it here all day long at uh, the Nahum Siegel Network. You'll be glad you did. 6.33, 27 minutes. Before 7 o'clock with the Maccabees at JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. from Shlomo Kalbach, Rav Ravine, and Limmi Kedashech. Ah, as we stand here on an air of Shabbos Parshas Vayigash with candle lighting at 4.09 here in New York. Zevi Kaufman at Lachadodi, the Moshav band, Lachadodi. Lo Alacha done by Mordechai Shapiro. And the Maccabees with Lachadodi on an air of Shabbos broadcast here at J.M. in the A.M. Well, rough weather in the New York area for this weekend, including tonight and tomorrow. Lots of rain, but nothing will put a damper. On the amazing Major Mazel Tov and Major Simcha, Dr. Mark Singer, our wonderful friend, somebody who's been on the show millions of times. Okay, that's in quotation marks. Uh, <laughs> his Ufruf is tomorrow, Parshas Vayigash. Dr. Mark Mazel Tov cannot wait to celebrate with you today and tomorrow. And, of course, at the big wedding, Mazel Tov to uh, Dr. Mark, Mazel Tov to Toby. Mazal tov to their families and Mazal tov to uh, all of the uh, wonderful friends as uh, we get together, both for the Ufruf and the wedding coming up, and we are very much looking forward to it. So if you hear if you hear reverberations of a major Mazal tov tomorrow in Queens, New York, that's Dr. Mark Singer's Ufruf that you are hearing. It's a Mazal tov from all of us here at uh, JM in the AM. He has been a pillar of friendship and support for us for, oh my gosh, over 30 years, I would say. If not over, then just around 30 years. And we cannot thank him enough. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. We go to our Galetzal in the background. News from Israel coming up, of course, as you would suspect at the top of the hour. So we've got Galit on the background. Donnie Menken, um, Israeli Academy Award-winning filmmaker, is going to join us. There's a wonderful, wonderful documentary, and, and we'll get the details on how you can watch it, etc. Uh, it's 20 minutes from now. Stay tuned. It's um, it's it's so amazing, so up my alley. <laughs> yes, it has to do with sports, obviously, <laughs> but it has to do also with the incredible Jewish spirit, Israel spirit. History of the State of Israel. It's just incredible. Anyway. So that's coming up here at JM in the AM. Uh, Tuesday is Asar Bateves. Keep that in mind. The fast day on Tuesday coming up. 44 degrees cloudy with rain this Shabbos. Uh, Galit Tzal, Israel Army Radio. 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday next. Boker Tov from JM in גליצל השעה שתיים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. בפעם הרביעית ביממה החולפת חייל צהל נפצע קשה מדקירה במהלך עימות עם מחבל. החייל פונה לקבלת טיפול בבית החולים הדסה עם קרן בירושלים כשהוא סובל מפגיעת ראש ונשקפת סכנה לחייו. יהודה דן, הקבת היישוב בית אל שתפעל את האירוע, תיאר בגלי צהל את השיחה הקצרה שניהל עם החייל דקות ספורות לאחר שנפגע. נראה את המקום, פוגש את הלוחם, מחליף איתו כמה מילים, הוא פצוע קשה מאוד, פגיעת ראש קשה מאוד, ככה הוא מממן מילים, הוא דיבר על דקירה שהמחבל הפתיע אותו מאחור. האירוע הזה הוא אירוע עם תעוזה בלתי רגילה. כמו כן, בשעה זו כוחות צה"ל סורקים את מרחב בית אל לאיתור המחבל הנמלט. במקביל נמשך המצוד אחר חוליית חמאס שביצעה את פיגוע הירי אתמול בצומת אסף, מדווח כתבנו הצבאי צחי דבוש. המחבל הצליח לברוח מזירת הפיגוע בבית אל אחרי מאבק אלים עם הלוחם במהלכו נפצע. כוחות גדולים דולקים אחריו, 
במקביל, בגזרת רמאללה נמשך המצוד הנרחב שצה"ל מנהל כבר יממה אחרי חוליית המחבלים של חמאס, שביצעה את פיגוע הירי אתמול. כמו כן, כוחות גדולים של צה"ל הוזרמו ליהודה ושומרון בשל גל הפיגועים. סמל יוסף כהן, שנהרג בפיגוע הירי אתמול, הובא הבוקר למנוחות. כהן, לוחם חטיבת כפיר, נטמן בבית העלמין בהר הזיתים בירושלים. רב סרן מתי שבח, מפקדו של כהן, ספד לו. לוחם אמיתי, לוחם בנפש. כמה קשיים התגברת, התקדמת, ולא ביקרת. בשמחה, במאור פנים. המשימה האחרונה שיצאת, כדורי המרצחים השיגו אותך. אבל אנחנו לא ננוח ולא נשקוט ולשמור על עם ישראל. באשקלון, תם עשה הלוויה של סמל ראשון יובל מור יוסף בבית העלמין הצבאי בעיר. בת זוגו, מיכל בוגנים, סיפרה, רציתי להיות שלך לתמיד. הגוף שלי לא מעכל, הראש שלי לא מבין, והלב שלי כתבתנו עמית חדד מעדכנת שמצבו של החייל הנוסף שנפצע בפיגוע אתמול מוסיף להיות קשה ועדיין נשקפת סכנה לחייו. מצבה של תושבת בית אל שנפצעה גם היא מוגדר קשה אך יציב. עוד בחדשות, ילדה כבת שבע נפצעה קשה בתאונת דרכים חזיתית בין רכב ישראלי לפלסטיני סמוך לחוסן שבגוש עציון. בתאונה נפצעה בינוני גם אישה כבת ארבעים, וארבעה בני אדם נוספים נפצעו קל. כתבנו יאיר אורביאטו מוסר שהכביש נחסם לתנועה בשני הכיוונים. בתל אביב מאות בני אדם משתתפים כעת בהפגנת האפודים הצהובים במחאה על גל ההתייקרויות במשק. כתבתנו עינב קרנר שמעה אותם. המחיה מתחיל ונגמר במדיניות. דוחפים אותנו לקצב, הרוב ישן, עוד לא התעוררו. מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע, עלייה בטמפרטורות שתהיינה רגילות לעונה, אלה החדשות. Invite your family and your neighbors It's now your time 
J.M. and the A.M., Yaakov Shweki. Eighth day before that with It's Shabbos Now here at J.M. and the A.M. Um, excuse me. Uh, Donnie Menken's going to join us in five minutes. In five minutes, Donnie Menken's going to join us. Am I looking forward to this interview? You can't imagine. In fact, I just spoke to him. <laughs> I know I'm being mysterious in terms of what he is and who he is and all that. Um, I just spoke to him five minutes ago. And for those of you who are longtime listeners of this show and those of you who are longtime Israeli basketball fans, I already told him the Olsi Perry Halavan story that happened to me in Israel. Now, again, you probably, only, only less than 1% of this audience gets that, but those of you who get it, I think you find that funny. Uh, so if you're wondering why I don't tell him that joke or tell him that story while he's on, now you know why. Anyway, so he'll be joining us coming up in just five minutes from now. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. JM and the AM, we have our uh, we have our weekly update coming up. Malcolm Honline is going to join us. Don't forget, on Tuesday night, we are live from Toronto. Tuesday night, after the fast, we are live from Toronto, Canada. We'll have all the details by Monday. Wednesday morning, we are live from Toronto at the Aguda Synagogue, where we will be uh, helping them raise money for the uh, Eruv and Hatzala campaign in Toronto. It's one of their, uh, it's one of the one-day charity campaigns. So we'll be doing that. So if you know people in Toronto, let them know they should install the NSN app on their phone and listen Tuesday night and listen Wednesday morning and come see us at both locations. 
And then Thursday will be with JNF. Thursday will be with the Jewish National Fund in Woodmere at Gotta Get a Bagel. Join us Thursday morning for that. And then Thursday morning at 11 a.m., live lunch at the Achiezer headquarters in Cedarhurst. So we have a big, big travel week coming up. I hope all of you will join us all week long here at JM in the AM. Don't forget, you could sponsor part or all of a JM in the AM broadcast. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Be as generous as you can as we are now at the end of the year, the end of the calendar year. Be as generous as you can be and help support us here at JM in the AM. And, of course, we thank you.
JM and the AM, that's uh, ABD with their Animus Mirot here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Candlelighting 409, Erev Shabbos Parshas, Vayigash. Well, yesterday, just yesterday, oh, that's not true, it wasn't yesterday, it was earlier this week, I found out about a brand new film entitled On the Map, which, um, uh, which again, just came to my attention this week. It is uh, a production of Hey Jude Productions. Uh, led by uh, Donnie Menken, an Israeli Academy Award winner, uh, as a filmmaker. And um, we were offered to speak with Donnie and or the legendary Babe Ruth of Israel. And that's, of course, Tal Brody. So I said, let's get both on. <laughs> let's get them both on. So Donnie's with us now. Tal Brody, the legend himself, is going to join us on Monday here at JM in the AM. Uh, Donnie Menken. Producer and director of the brand new film On the Map. Shalom and welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom Aleichem, Olsi Perry. How you doing? <laughs> Olsi Perry. I just told my audience that I already told you the uh, Olsi Perry Halavad story, which I'm sure I'll repeat a million more times. Anyway, this is an unbelievable documentary. It was a great idea, and I'm so, so glad that it's been produced and that it's so great. I, I'm so glad I watched it before this conversation. Uh, Tal Brody, Tal Brody, when he gets to Israel and ends up leading the Israeli Maccabi Tel Aviv team to the European Cup championship in 1977, once that game ends and they are champions of Europe and Israel is, I mean, nobody even can believe that this is happening. Uh, once that happens, uh, uh, Tal Brody makes the legendary statement that now Israel is on the map. And that is, of course, the name of the film. I mean, he could not have put it better, right? Tal Brody could not have summed it all up any better, Donnie. Yeah, in many ways, you know, what Tal Brody has said captured the heart of the nation at that time because Israel was post-Yom Kippur War, and right. the Russians didn't even want to play against uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv because they just didn't recognize the states of Israel. Right. and. Um, they felt that sport has nothing to do with politics, and if you agree or disagree with Israel, that's something else. On the sport, there are no disagreements. You just compete. Right. And uh, at the end of the day, the European forced the teams to play in a mutual site, and that's what happened. It was kind of like a miracle because it was, they were the same players that beat the United States in Munich. Right. So realistically, they should have beaten Israel, Maccabi Tel Aviv. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they exactly. I mean, even someone in the film says they'd be a twenty-point favorite. I mean, you know, the Soviet Union should have destroyed Israel on the court that day, and of course, that's not what happened. Uh, I, I learned so many things. I mean, I remember that time. I remember that time I'm a little kid, and I remember them you know, being in the final and everywhere, the whole Jewish world. It's not just Israel. And the footage you have of the celebrations in Israel and the hundreds of fans that went either from Israel or Israelis in Europe who went to the game, just amazing. Wow. One of the things I learned, though, was Israel would never have gotten to the European Cup final if, ironically enough, Russia the Soviet Union would not have beaten another team. It was Russia by beating a different team that ended up getting Israel into the final game. 
and doesn't it make it even more fun? Yeah, it, it's it's so <laughs> ironic that that had to happen. So the Russian game is taking place earlier in the year, and Israel pulls off this remarkable uh, victory, and then they end up in the European Cup final, and of course, as we know, they win by one point, and the entire country goes crazy, and I would say the entire Jewish world goes crazy. Everybody felt a a a validity of being of being a Jew and being a fan of Israel because they went ahead and won that game. Now I got to tell you, Donnie Menken's with us. I must tell you, the 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 film is amazing, and for a variety of reasons, we love speaking to Tal Brody. He's been on this show. He is a legend, and his story is incredible. But you also include so many other players who are on that team. In the documentary, which is wonderful for us, I never saw a full-length interview with Alcee Perry about the experience of being from Newark, New Jersey and ending up you know, converting to Judaism and playing for Israel all those years. And 40 years later, no matter where he goes in Israel, he's a hero. And you have, uh, you have Jim Boatwright's wife. Uh, he has passed away already. So you have, you have his wife in the film, Mickey Berkovich, who's an Israeli legend in basketball. You have amazing footage of all these guys Obviously speaking now in terms of a retrospective, but also you have amazing footage of them speaking and playing in that era. It must have been a goldmine for you to have all this film footage available to you. Yeah, that's actually what brought it to life. For me, these guys are my childhood heroes. And I, I just felt like, you know, for me to make a movie and to find all this footage that was never been seen, was like uh, to be a kid in the candy store. That's what I love. I, I, I love these guys, and I love to do that. And uh, when I brought it to the American audience, you know, people said, you know, we heard about the miracle on ice. We know everything about it. Yeah. But we did not know that there is even a bigger miracle, and that was the miracle on the hardwood. <laughs> And that's why I felt like, you know, I want to bring it to the American audience. And I was very lucky not only to have the film told from the perspective of the American players that came and helped in making this history. Also, we had Bill Walton and David Stern. I was going to say to you and, that that's, yeah. that's what makes this film. Michael Oren, David Stern, former commissioner of the NBA, Bill Walton, my God. You know, I knew he had some connection with Israeli basketball, I've heard over the years, but the man the man he, he he's a he's a massive fan of Israeli basketball. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and a lot of them are a really big fan of Tal Brody. Right. They understand, you know, what this guy has made. And I feel like right now, more than anything, people need positive, non-political stories out of Israel. That's why I, I launched now uh, my own The Map Foundation. We're a 501c3. And like we've made this movie really with the help of the community. And we are making another film now about the life of Olsi Perry, the oh. whole unbelievable roller coaster life of this amazing man that lives now in Israel. But I will not reveal to you too much what he has been going through in order to and be, you know, Israeli and Jewish and bring the country to this kind of level. Uh, but that's kind of like our goal is to bring more positive non-political stories from Israel. Right. And um, to just show a different side of our country can that pe we love. Can people support the foundation through the Hey Jude website? Yeah, there is a place, it's heyjudeproductions.com. 
that you can support and donate. We are 501c3. It's all tax deductible. We're happy if people will reach out to us to give producers, associate producer, co-producer, executive producer, credit. Everything is really uh, coming for a good story out of Israel. And we really want to show that we're on the map, like Tal Brody said. And it's oh, yeah. not only... And like people think uh, or hear in the news, but in many, many aspects. And it's not only basketball. It's in many, many aspects like like movies, you know, and, and, and quality movies and quality of life. So Look, this is what we want to show, uh, but we don't want to bore people. We want to do it in a compelling, entertaining way. Look, we talk about this all the time. Israel is not just on the map now. Israel almost controls the whole map, <laughs> the, the way the way the rest of the world is now, you know, being attracted to Israel and you know, and, and is begging Israel for its technology and for its advancements. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and and I think you know, for me, it's like even to go to young generation and to teach them about Israel through movies, right. like you said, in, on the map incorporated. A lot of the history of the country. Yep, and it's fun. You know, people love sport. They love the underdog. It's not only for people that like basketball. And um, you know, if uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> letting us, uh, you know, open it up to the community. Oh, so I, I am, I am so thank enthusiastic. You. I am so enthusiastic about this. You can't imagine. It's uh, you know, when, <laughs> people will find this hard to believe, but simply one of the most significant events in modern Jewish history, as crazy as that sounds, beating the Soviet Union and winning the European Cup final in 1977. And I thought this would be the Tal Brody story. Nothing against Tal. He is a hero to all of us, believe you me. Uh, but you, but you added so much with all the play. You know, Alcy Perry, he wanted a, a basketball job. You know, he was cut and he needed a basketball job. He was offered a job in Israel, and I respect that. But, but I didn't realize that so many other players had the same chush, the same desire, the same you know uh, emotional connection like Tal Brody had to go to Israel, and and they felt that there was something special. Uh, that that was going on there. It was not just his story, but so many other players that that felt there was a there was a little bit of a tug bringing them to the Holy Land, and that was really cool. And and that's that's one of the things that, as I said, the other personalities that you interview in the film, Ambassador Michael Oren, NBA Commissioner David Stern, Hall of Famer champion Bill Walton. You know, they they captured. I think it's they who said it in the film that there was a higher calling for these players, right? I think it was they who pointed that out. Yeah, absolutely. In many ways, you know, they started it 40 years ago, and we wanted to continue what they have started. I felt like, you know, they had some message to give to the world uh, through sport. And when we joined forces, and I said, we, we, we're really a team, you know. I was very lucky to work with Nancy Spielberg, who's uh, Steven Spielberg's sister, an right. incredible producer, and with Roberta Grossman, John Weinbach, uh, who's done so many incredible films like Karim Abdul-Jabbar, and he's working on a series about Michael Jordan. And they all said, you know, there is something so special about this film. You know, we have people like basketball legends like Chris Webber and Jeff Van Gandhi that were blown away by seeing this this story. Because what's beautiful about great sports stories is that they are crossing outside of the arena. And for us, that's what this film has made. And that's why, until today, there are our childhood heroes. And you're right, it's not only Tal Brody, it's Mickey, it's Olsi, yeah. 
Lou Silver, uh, Shuki, Monty, Lou, Jim, Eric, <laughs> Bob, all of them, and Coach Ralph Klein. What they have done was incredible. And you know, people don't realize it was not uh, a profession. They yeah. did not make money out of basketball. Right. They really put their heart in it uh, for the love of it and for the love for the country. I, lo- I love how when they traveled in Europe, they went to the local shul and asked people if they could put them, if they could put them up because they couldn't afford hotel rooms. I'll tell Imagine you. Imagine today. It is such a Jewish story. <laughs> it's so amazing. It's such a great story. Hey Jude Productions, like the song Hey Jude. HeyJudeProductions.com gives you all the information about Donnie's films and how you could donate and support them, but it also tells you this story about the film On the Map, which is amazing. Tomorrow night at 7 p.m., they're screening it at um, at B'nai Jeshrin on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh, you've indicated that any uh, synagogue or JCC or group anywhere in the world that wants to screen it, they can get in touch with you through the website, HeyJudeProductions.com, hey and you're going to be in Florida next month. You're definitely doing a screening next month, right? Yes, yes, I'm going to be in Florida, the Jewish Film Festival in Miami. We're showing the movie and clips, uh, exclusive clips of Alsi Perry, as this is the film that we want to support because we want to also reach out to the African-American community and to show more positive stories of Israel. And, you know, we are happy to come to the community tomorrow, by the way, Ibnei Shurun, Paul Brody, and I will be there for Q&A. And we love doing it. We love, you know, asking you know, answering more questions about the behind the scene of making for Tal making the history and for me making the movie. Look, one of the greatest thrills for me was meeting Tal Brody. He's been an unbelievable ambassador. He's been such an important part of Israeli history. It's just unbelievable. I cannot. You know, he'll be with us Monday. I, I, I'm going to be speaking to him yes. about this movie on Monday, and I'm very yes. much looking forward to it. Donnie, I thank you for this. I, I you, you you hear how excited I am about this. It was an amazing. I do. It was an amazing season, an incredible era, and forty years later, right? Forty years later, those guys walk around Israel as as if they just won the championship yesterday, right? Exactly. All you see them, and all you want to do is take a ball and hoop, and <laughs> and, and I feel like that's what we both want to do now. <laughs> yeah, you could say that again. Uh, <laughs> there you have it. Go to HeyJudeProductions.com. The movie is called On the Map. It is wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, everybody. You, it will be just for anybody who has any feeling toward the history of the state of Israel and its uh, humble beginnings, uh, this victory that they, um, that they tell over uh, the Soviet Union and then the eventual victory in the European Cup final in 1977 really did put Israel on the map, as Tal Brody explained, and we'll speak to him on Monday. Donnie Menken, Tadaraba, Shabbat Shalom to you, and good luck. We'll remind everybody about uh, HeyJudeProductions.com. Shabbat Shalom, and thanks for this call. <sighs> Amazing. Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayigash. Plenty more coming up. It is, after all, a Friday morning, and uh, everybody out there, our Weekly update is just five minutes away. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. There's plenty to talk about regarding Israel and the Jewish world. We'll do that. You keep it right here at JM in the AM.
wissen, da geht's noch und noch. Farnusse zu bringen, oi Tate, Bashe, Atug noch, Atug, als Aschwere Woche. Zum Gashmi ist Leben, wir lassen sich herab. Kombus bekennt sich dem Mut im Kacken. Es kommt aber Schabes, alles stellt sich auf. Dicke Tische, wir kennen die Liften tappen. Lechut euch die Likras Kalo. Fnau, ich hab aus Nekabelo. Lechut euch die Likras Kalo. Fnau, ich hab aus Nekabelo. Shabbos <laughs> Die Tante singt in die Kinderlich mit ihm. Lechut euch die Likras Kalor. Nalalai Shabbos Nekabelo. Lechut euch die Likras Kalor. Nalalai Shabbos Nekabelo. Shalom, 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 shalom
JM in the AM with a reminder tomorrow night at the Talmud Torah Flatbush. 1305 Coney Island Avenue, Rabbi Ari Lamb, special advisor to the president of Yeshiva University, will speak on the topic of the Jews, the Greeks, and the battle for Western civilization. Tomorrow night, 1305 Coney Island Avenue, the uh, Talmud Torah of Flatbush has an amazing speaker series each winter, and this year is no exception. So 8.15 tomorrow night, 1305 Coney Island Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. Speaking of schedule, don't forget our travel schedule. Tuesday night, we're broadcasting from Toronto. We'll have that exact location for you on Monday, but we'll be in Toronto on Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, we're at the Aguda in Toronto with our friends from the um, Toronto leadership that are having the one-day charity campaign for the Eruv and Hatsala of Toronto. So we'll be helping them raise money on Wednesday morning. That's uh, where our JMN broadcast will be from. Then Thursday, we're with JNF, the Jewish National Fund out in Woodmere. Uh, the show will be at Gotta Get a Bagel, Joel's store out there in Woodmere. And we'll be speaking with our friends from Jay and Ezra headquarters on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. So a lot of travel this coming week, and I hope you'll join us for all of it. Hey, everybody in Toronto, 
Make sure you install the NSN app so you can listen Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. All right, special message for all of our friends in Toronto, Canada. And please, a couple of weeks of our 2018 campaign, um, our year-end campaign before the first of the year, make sure to make a generous donation. All of AJM and broadcast by going to fjbunity.org to keep us going and keep all of our amazing features going here. Etc. We'll give you all the details coming up. A big thank you to our friends at Jewish World Review. Jewish World Review, you can uh, print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about Israel and the Jewish world. We recommend you do that. Go to jewishworldreview.com. A special shout-out, of course, to our friends at onlysimchas.com who continue to utilize a lot of our content for some of the great stories they report in their news feed every single day from around the Jewish world. Check them out every single day, onlysimchas.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, joins us on a Friday morning for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Your travel schedule starts to sound like mine. And yeah, actually, you're right. But it, Toronto is one of my favorite cities. It's a great, great community, really wonderful people, as are all the communities you're visiting. So I hope they give you the proper, proper uh, welcome and have the red carpets out and everything to to make sure. But we'll have red carpets out. So I give a mazel tov to Avi Stein and Racheli Kass who are getting married this Sunday. Wow, mazel tov. The Amazing. The son of Shua and Sarah Stein and this uh, Mr. Mizevic Dukas. Yeah, it's uh, your, it's your grandson. <laughs> that too. <laughs> let, let, let's <laughs> let's make that clear. It is your grandson, and that reminds me, I'm going to again wish Mazel Tov to Dr. Mark Singer, our amazing friend, because we're celebrating his Ufruf tomorrow, and we wish a Mazel Tov to a Dr. Mark Singer, and of course Toby, and we are looking forward to an amazing and incredible Ufruf celebration in Queens this coming Shabbos. Well, Malcolm. Uh, it's been too many weeks, too many Fridays where we have to start with this. The collective Jewish heart around the entire world with such great pain and such great agony uh, watched as uh, yet another one of these, uh, more than one of these terrorist episodes unfolded in Israel. We know the results of the first one from earlier in the week as um, the uh, as the uh, baby of, the, uh, of, um, of uh, this wonderful young couple from from Ofra, Ishram, yeah. uh, Shira and Amichai Ishran um, ended up being the victim of a murder, frankly. That's uh, the baby ended up being the victim of murder. I, I think everybody listening knows the story. And then, of course, later in the week, the two soldiers um, murdered and the funerals both taking place today in Israel. Uh, I, I think, first of all, I, I, never, never to, you know, to rate or judge individual terrorist attacks but you know as i know that there are certain attacks that really do attract the attention of the collective jewish heart around the world and these two i think you'll agree really uh, caused tremendous pain for everybody hearing the news it is amazing how have a four-day-old baby born after obviously the attack so galvanized the uh, people and you see the reaction. I will tell you, I too, I was, I was depressed afterwards, yep. and remained so. And the, it, it's, it's. You, I saw the pictures of the funeral. It's even hard to describe that. You know, sometimes events, and although there have been many tragedies and many people killed or wounded just this week, uh, how this uh, somehow 
just shows the inhumanity, the barbarism of these terrorist attacks that somebody could just drive by and shoot a pregnant woman. And look what she said, this, the courage that the mother demonstrated by saying, we will have many babies and we will, you know, that they don't give in, they don't express defeat. And the father of one of the Nachal Haredi's, two, the two Nachal Haredi soldiers that were killed, and it's online, the interview, it's in Hebrew, but it's worth it to take the time to watch it. A man with a beard and payas and a black hat, and he's interviewed by the media during the shiva, and he he tells this, his own personal story that he was about shiva after the Yom Kippur War. I think he was a soldier, became religious, and he talks about his son and the pride of his son in serving in the IDF, even though he's a Haredi. Even I mean, it's it is so moving, and the the stoic nature of his thing, saying that his son had expressed just a Shabbat before he was killed, the the joy and the privilege he felt that he could, with his body, defend the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. Everybody has to watch it. If you want to understand what Israel is really about, and everybody talks about, and he, this father, talks about the divisions in in the, amongst the Israeli people and right. and. At that moment, if this doesn't galvanize people and change them and make them rethink, and everybody should watch it and and show it to their kids and show it to their families, it, it is so. It is one of the most powerful things that I can remember seeing. Um, there's so many things to discuss about this. First of all, you you make a point that it has to be emphasized. There's there there's an element, and again, this is why they're living in Ofra, and this is why they have this incredible pioneering spirit. Uh, there is an element in in those who you know in these families that are affected by these attacks in those areas of Israel uh, that 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 simply I don't know emphasize they they emphasize the big picture they're able through all their pain and all of us think God forbid if we'd ever be in a situation like that what would we be what would we be what would we be like they're able to emphasize through all this pain how the Jewish future will continue and how more babies will be born and how we're going to be we're going to be victorious over the enemy. And this is all not only in a situation where they're being attacked, but in a situation where they question, and I say it that way, whether the government and whether those who are supposed to protect them are doing the best job possible at that. And with all of that, they all, and we see this in every episode, they come out with the most positive, incredible, and remarkable uh, comments about their future and the Jewish future. And I think that has to be recognized. That's absolutely true, that uh, the people, uh, and you have to put yourself in their shoes to think the pain and, and oh. what they've gone through. We saw the grandfather, Mr. Silverstein, American, and um, the baby itself was an Israeli-Canadian. Right. That the, um, I mean, these are people who came to Israel because they wanted to build Israel and understand that the potential sacrifice and we, and we look around the world and look at all the Jews who who've been suffering the anti-semitic attacks uh, you know we had at NYU this week that they closed the Jewish uh, center right. uh, and God it was reopened because of threats against it and the the number of incidents uh, physical assaults that that have taken place Ohio the Toledo and, and then you have this guy in Toledo who was inspired by the Pittsburgh shooter but started before that 
and was going to carry out an attack on a synagogue, and, and how many others that have been prevented because, you know, of intelligence, because they were able to track it, or because they have people under surveillance. The guys who carried out the attacks in Europe were all uh, mostly were under the uh, police surveillance already because they had seen the radicalization. They saw what sites they were looking at on online. They saw the communications that they had engaged in. So, you know, at least the people in Israel feel that they are there for a purpose, and if, God forbid, something like this happens, that they can look beyond the, their own pain and sorrow and understand the, the, the national significance right, exactly. is incredible. That's the uh, that's the phrase, national significance is right. And yesterday I'm meeting with somebody, and they tell me that— um, that their cousins live in Ofra, and what are their cousins most thankful for? That their kids go to school in the actual city of Ofra and don't have to, you know, in a mandatory way, don't have to travel those roads every day. And imagine the terror, just that. I mean, with, I mean, and obviously there's a lot of other things to, to imagine that are much worse, but imagine the terror just having to make that decision about sending your kids to school or, or, or driving out of town for a moment because of what's happening on those roads. With that in mind, did any terror organization take credit for what happened this week with these individuals who are acting because they were inspired by the rhetoric of the PA and Hamas? So what can you tell us about that? So it looks like these are, are largely Hamas uh, operatives. Hamas, I think, is in a, it's a new front that they're trying to create in the West Bank. You know, they, they obviously continue the violence and the demonstrations, and I'm sure we'll see today. Uh, at the in Gaza, despite the quote calming down, I don't know. I can't say that it, that there is a an agreement, but there certainly was some sort of an understanding to try and stop the rockets and and some of the other attacks. Although they continue, and they continue to try to cross the border, and the um, Friday demonstrations are still very riotous. But Hamas, as you know, is in a pitched battle with the Palestinian Authority, not just Israel and wants all the time to establish a presence in the West Bank, and it seems that they are inciting uh, some of these attacks. But the PA itself bears responsibility as they continue to honor and to pay and to reward those who engage in these terrorist attacks. The murderer of this little baby will already get gets extolled as a martyr, and the, the murderer of, of the soldiers gets extolled as a uh, these cowards who drive by and try to escape, and thank God in most cases are caught, that they, they are, are, are extolled by the Palestinian Authority, by the leadership, uh, and they continue to get money. And, for, and Germany this week, by the way, uh, announced that they're not going to cut off funding for those who, for to the PA, for the money that they pay to the terrorists and reward them or their families after if they get killed uh, for their terrorist attacks. Um, so Hamas, I think, is engaged in trying to establish its presence. The Palestinian Authority obviously doesn't want it, and they give the orders from Gaza or from Lebanon. They don't allow. Hamas operatives there in the West Bank to create their own military infrastructure. So this has a lot to do with the internal rivalries. It has to do with the attempts to try to influence when the next election or counting on the actuarial tables that Abbas at some point has to go. Yeah, understood. Uh, look, you're, you're close to the prime minister. We all know that. Uh, at some point in the last decade or two, you've had to have brought up with him how difficult it is for him to pay these shiva calls and to walk into these homes. Look, I can make the argument that you know, no matter what, and no matter what the policy of the government would be, 
you know, we know what the enemy is like, and the prime minister can prevent all these attacks. I can certainly make that argument. But on the other side, he also knows walking into these homes that a lot of people blame him for, you know, a lackadaisical approach or a too, too soft of an approach when it comes to the enemy. Uh, what what can you tell us about that? Is it, 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 it does he feel when he visits these homes that he knows that he's in, in in territory where most of the people are blaming him and his leadership for these types of episodes? They are blaming him increasingly. I mean, he is the uh, not only a prime minister, but uh, you know, right now he occupies so many posts, and I understand that he may. Um, relinquish the foreign ministry and appoint somebody, because I think the situation in the foreign ministry is deteriorating rapidly. There's job actions. They, they, the foreign ministry is demoralized, and not having a foreign minister is, um, uh, you know, diminishes their role. Their, their, all, much of their function has been assumed by others in the allocation of funds to other ministries based on mostly political considerations has created a lot of resentment and um, you know, marginalizing in part the foreign ministry, which is is sad because there are very a lot of talented people. So I I've heard that he will appoint a foreign minister. Uh, he needs to appoint the defense ministry. He needs to appoint others to be in these um, key positions. And, and even if it's just to be able to consult, you know, he he's very talented. He can carry a lot of the portfolios. But you need these people to who will be focused singularly when he has so many uh, responsibilities, as well as, of course, the burden of some of the personal, the, the legal actions and stuff has to take some sort of uh, of, of a toll. So he he and the warnings to him are coming from the parties of the right, right? Not not the left. Well, people, or, well, people in Elfra and other areas are obviously looking for for action from him now. Now, we saw this uh, release. Frankly, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I thought it may be a parody when I first saw it, but then we confirmed that it's real. Uh, the prime minister, in his role as defense minister, has, has announced accelerated demolition of terrorist homes. We do know that that is somewhat of an effective strategy, right? We do know that it's somewhat of a deterrent. Continuing efforts to apprehend the murderers and dismantle the infrastructures from which they set out. Increased administrative detention of Hamas militants in Yudan Shomron. Reinforcement of IDF units in Yudan Shomron. Reinforcement and protection along roads and placement of checkpoints on roads in Yudan Shomron, which obviously in this case, you know, we, we know hopefully would have would have helped and hopefully in the future will help. And placing a cordon around El Bire and revoking permits of family members of terrorists and their accomplices. Now, I, I, not that I have to sit here and defend the prime minister, but if in fact these types of things are going to be implemented, I, that is the direction to go in in order to protect these citizens of Samaria, right? Uh, all of these measures and many more have been proposed. It, one has to think the prime minister gets this also. The IDF gets it. They they know the things that can be done. It's not all practical in terms of implementation. I think practicality should be the second consideration. Security has to be the first, and they should do whatever um, whatever is necessary to protect the lives of of uh, the civilian citizens and 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 military to be able to function and. The security cooperation um, hopefully will continue, but Israel has to then, if not act and not allow a void to to be created in terms of the security uh, needs. But remember, the prime minister. Uh, I just wanted to decide that sure. that you know he's dealing with the situation in the West Bank. He's dealing in Yudan Shomron security. 
He's got to deal with the problems in Jerusalem. Uh, he's dealing with huge problems in the Golan and the escalating situation and the, the discovery of the third tunnel and the um, in increased efforts of Iran to, to create their presence and Hezbollah's uh, efforts and knowing that, that in Lebanon they're bringing these guided missile systems. And I talked about this weeks ago, that they would build the factories, and now we believe they are, in addition to the direct flights to Beirut and transversing in Syria, which Israel has tried to address. He has to look at the... Um, um, the the uh, situation of uh, uh, um, the people in the north getting Yancy, seeing uh, uh, tunnels coming near Matula and and uh, Yiftach, uh, now with these three tunnels already, and they don't know how many more they're going to to discover and putting the onus, trying to put the onus on Unithil, that the um, you know the prime minister has to weigh and with the resources not not unlimited resources of the IDF to to address each of these situations. Uh, the, and, and there's so many more things that people don't know. They're clearing mines still from areas both in West Bank and, and in another area near uh, uh, churches, which they're, they're trying to uh, clear that have been there since the, the 67 war, since the war of attrition. And the, you know, I, I don't know how a prime minister who's also the defense minister and the foreign minister, you know, can address, and he's very smart, but you can't do all of these things. Um, and, you know, we saw this week the murder of an Israeli Arab, um, a Palestinian was killed in an Israeli Arab town because he was accused of selling land to Israelis, that they have a death penalty against anybody who sands, sells lands to, land to a Jew, even rents apartments. And as I told the people in Airbnb, <laughs> you know, that they, that they you know, uh, didn't take any action against people who, who have engaged in these actions, let alone countries that are on our terrorism watch list or right. terrorism support states. Right. They didn't take action against them. Yeah, that, and that's such a good point, and people should keep that in mind when they do write or call uh, to protest Airbnb. We'll do more on Airbnb coming up. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Support us, our year-end fundraiser, fjbunity.org. You could sponsor part or all of a JMNAM broadcast. <clears throat> Go to fjbunity.org. And we thank you. Prime Minister Netanyahu, and I need to know <clears throat> if he's allowed to do this. Prime Minister Netanyahu decided to legalize thousands of homes and communities in Yudan Sharon that were built in good faith and which have yet to be legalized, some for decades. This is in reaction to what happened in Ofra. Now, he does not need the attorney general or judges or courts to do this. He can go ahead and do that? It was Shaked, the Minister of Justice, who proposed it. Ah. And uh, yes, he does need uh, approval, but these were approved before, and now um, I think this is, uh, you know, that he needs to placate these, this population also. You know, right. the pressure builds for an election, which will take place within a year, no matter what, uh, either the official date in November of next year or earlier, if if that is deemed uh, by him to be uh, essential and necessary. And it may well be. So the um, yeah, the, this is something he can he can order because they already have the. I mean, the minister of justice said right. that it's it's approved. And with that in mind, he's requested that the attorney general take legal steps to facilitate the construction of 82 new residential units in Ofra, and he's advancing the construction of two new industrial zones near Avnei Chefetz and Beitar Elite. 
Uh, but I, I want to go back to the tunnels in a second, but you mentioned Airbnb. Um, you alluded to this last week. The state of Illinois is 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 um, pondering whether the action by Airbnb now puts them in a legal situation, um, you know, with anti-BDS legislation, um, where they might be considered illegal, or you know, in, in, what, what would it be? Would it be illegal for for you know pe- people in, in Illinois or Illinois to as a state to use them? Like how how would that work? What would what would be the penalty to Airbnb if they would be found in violation of the BDS uh, legislation? Well, the governor elect of Florida also and. In- other states have indicated that uh, that the, the, these kind of actions would be mandated by the in, in the 26 states, certainly that have anti-BDS laws. Not all of them actually cover this. Some are uh, executive orders, some are legislative orders. But in Illinois, it was the uh, Investment Policy Board that voted to notify Airbnb that it is in violation of the state laws barring the economic boycott of Israel, and they gave them 90 days to respond before it's blacklisted, which means that Illinois state employees would not use it. And it also means that in the spring when Airbnb plans its IPO, it's a public offering, um, they would not invest. And we hope that other pension plans, especially we, we hope that uh, New York, New Jersey, Governor Cuomo, Governor Murphy, others, that Tom DiNapoli, the controller, will also come out and say that that the policy is under review at the very least and that the, that the potential is that they will be barred from doing business uh, with state employees and for, for investment if they continue to comply. And uh, I've met them. I, I, I think you know that they're in a situation that they created for themselves, and they have to find a way out. We had some ideas, but we can't allow it to stand if for no other reason than the precedent it establishes. Right, and they and, and they and they really they they had a bad stroke of luck because a lot of these things die out after a week or two, but this just doesn't stop. Well, I don't think it's a bad stroke of luck. I think it's it's um, a moral outrage at the a decision that they can be in other disputed territories, that they are in states that are in massive violation of of human rights, that are terrorist support states according to American definition and law, and yet they singled out one group in one area, and it's, it is not an economic impact. It's not going to affect Israel's economy, and it, by and large, doesn't affect that many people in the West Bank. I'm sure those who, who rent are upset. But it's the statement it makes, it, the discriminatory practice that is inherent in it. And they have to make a decision, and, and it's not our decision. We have to keep the pressure on, right. and we need everybody who cares. After these attacks, this is, again, one of the things that we can do as a statement, and it doesn't prejudge the outcome of any potential negotiations. And it was Saeed Arakat of the PA, just as the PA was the one instituting and pushing the, the BDS movement, they pushed this decision. And, you know, there was no consultation and there was no discussion before with the community, with anybody about what the implications, maybe they did it internally, but I spoke to board members and they said that they were not consulted and uh, about this. You know, there just has to come a time when we draw the line and say no more. It is not uh, about money in this case. This is a, a precedent and a practice that can lead to others feeling that it can be justified in doing similar things. And, and in this case, they say, well, we're still operating in East Jerusalem, which is true. And in the Golan, there right. was only one specific uh, area for whatever reason that I still can't understand, even after discussing it. 
And I'm not sure, and I don't think necessarily in most cases with bad intention even. By the way, speaking of Israeli and, and, and Yehudan Shomron resilience, I'm sure you're aware already Already, there's a group of men and women that have put together their own Airbnb-type uh, company. I think we're going to be featuring them this coming week here, in fact, uh, just to you know, not just combat it, but to take advantage of the fact that Airbnb won't list anymore, so they've created their own listing company. So, And many people are pulling out who, who did use it. I've right. used it. I know it, there are many, many people in Israel, I think, um, they, they talked about how much money they, they, I mean, huge amounts of money that are involved in Airbnb in Israel, and they intend to continue to invest, and they want to build up more of their investment. So they don't really get what the what the core issue here is about what why this is so sensitive, why this is such a a, a serious move, and the you know at a time again when we see the rise of the of these terrorist activities, it's the same thing about why Germany's decision not to cut off the funding, not to have a Taylor Force Act, or, or their decisions, you know, France and Germany to bypass the sanctions in Iran and say they're going to create an economic alternative. It's not the economics of it that matters, because amounts of money involved are going to be small. There are a thousand German companies doing business in Iran. Most of them are small because the big international companies pulled out not to have to do business because uh, they're afraid of losing the right to do business in the U.S. In, in fact, even the Chinese... Uh, petroleum company pulled out of the PARS deal, which I talked about when they signed it uh, several months ago, that they announced that they're pulling pulling out of it because they're afraid of the consequences. That's the message, that there has to be clear a, a price to pay if you are going to be blind to the interests of the Jewish community, of Israel, the security of Jews, to, to the security of others then we, there is going to be a price to pay. There's a corporate responsibility. There's an individual responsibility. that we have to hold them to account for that. Now, one other note, by the way, on the, on the Ofra story, the United Nations did not condemn Hamas, even though, again, you, you had mentioned that uh, it is a Hamas, you know, there are ties to Hamas uh, between the terrorists and the organization, but the U.N., of course, did not take action. And notice action. that this, these attacks, the escalation attacks, came days afterwards, and the Hamas claiming a victory when, in fact, 87 countries voted against Hamas, right. the biggest number so far, and it was a plurality, even though the, they invoked uh, Bolivia and, uh, and the Arab countries uh, led an effort to, to invoke a requirement that they have a two-thirds, not a majority, but a two-thirds majority, had it been the regular majority, it would have passed. But because they needed two-thirds, they fell a few votes short of that. And that only passed by a 75 to 72 vote, the initial, the, to, to require this uh, special procedure. Uh, but but the, the Hamas clearly draws inspiration and says, look at the international community. Yep. Why not? <laughs> if they're silent in the face of, in the aftermath of these attacks, you know, very easy to get away with these things as long as nobody cares, it seems. And by the way, speaking of nobody caring, and too many people pointed this out to me this week, uh, we, we know that the world media, I'm not talking about the Israeli or Jewish media, but the world media paid no attention to this attack in, in Ofra until when? Until the funeral took place on Wednesday. Then all of a sudden they splashed the pictures in the front pages. It's a, an, an important thing to remember, as you always remind us, you know, when it comes and, and to... It, and, it's, and it's a 15-minute story in... in uh in terms of the media coverage. And, and also, you know, the way they described the communities that were involved, where these people came from, uh, was not exactly an accurate uh, uh, portrayal. Yeah, I would assume the word radical was used very often. Um, no, it, it, implicitly or explicitly. Right. I mean, uh, all right, and you mentioned the tunnel. I mean, 
So now it's the third tunnel up north. And I mean, we should note that the U.S. stood up and, and condemned it right away and did the right thing. And Ambassador Friedman had some amazing tweets, uh, really poignant, direct statements about uh, you know about what the world should, how the world should be reacting to this enemy as opposed to the way they actually do in the aftermath of these attacks and he's to be commended. But so did the State Department and right. so did, I think the president did. Uh, I can't say exactly because but but certainly administration came out clearly and led the effort on the on the Hamas resolution. Uh, so it should be noted that the the U.S. stood up right on this and they should be thanked for it as well, which is another topic I guess. Um, uh, so you mentioned the tunnels, and so now the third time. I mean, by the how- way, you know that the president signed the waiver on the Jerusalem Embassy Act. President Trump signed it now. Well, one second. That that doesn't that normally <laughs> doesn't that nor- doesn't that normally mean that there's a postponement of six months? Yes, but it's because the law requires the transfer of the residence of the ambassador, and until that's formally done. That he has to keep signing it. So when people see that he signed it, don't get excited. It doesn't affect the move of the embassy. It's only a technical requirement because it also requires the move of the ambassador's permanent residence. One second. In, the, in, in, in his Hanukkah message to the Jewish community, and I think you were standing there, didn't he say that the, 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 the purchase, the renovations, the complete move? That's of the embassy. Right, was already done? Yeah, but the, the official residence still remains in Tel Aviv. Mm. So it's only, it's, I'm saying it's technicality. I don't right. want people to get excited and saying, oh, he's going to, he's reneging on the thing. No, there's nothing to do with the embassy. It's only because the 95 law, uh, when we enacted it, we included the move of the residence because we didn't want it just to be, you know, to set up a satellite office, but that the full recognition had to be including the move of the embassy, of the residence. There was no ceremony for the signing of the waiver, was there? <laughs> I, I, doubt it. I would hope not. Uh, to the tunnel. So the, now the, the third tunnel, as you mentioned, up north. I mean, how many are there? Could, and the reason I'm saying it like that is because one would expect that that you know the IDF and the security forces up north would would have been more familiar with all this activity. You know, if we get to a point where you know ten or twenty tunnels are discovered, then it's going to be somewhat suspicious that Israel didn't know what was going on up there. Um, how many more could there be at this point? Well, it's not 10 or 20, but there there are going to be more, I'm afraid. And don't forget, you're talking about a border area, so from Matula to Yiftach and, and uh, in the border area. Um, and these tunnels are 80 feet below ground, so they're not detected. Israel's invented new seismic detection equipment and other things that help them to, to address this. They tunnel through through rock. Because this is not like in Gaza where you have sand. This is in, in you know rock. You're going through a mountain, uh, so these take a long time. And remember, they start underneath somebody's home. Right. So they dig in the basement and they go down very far, and it runs about I think 400 feet. But it only it only needs to go 30, 40 feet in Israel. None of these were completed. They weren't operational yet. Uh, Israel is demanding that Unifil destroy them, and and uh, put they put explosives in them in case somebody tries to to use them or to you know continue. Uh, they they uh, and the army knew the IDF knew about the existence of the first tunnel, uh, and they had been monitoring it because they wanted to see where they were headed and. 
you know, think about the the financial investment. These are complicated uh, places. They are reinforced. They they uh, have to go, as I said, doing operating 80 feet underground and then coming up um, near one of the uh, communities on the on the border. And it was clearly meant to be a terror attack and a terror operation uh, against uh, against Israel. And Israel has warned civilians to stay out of it, and the and if those who live on top of the tunnels to get out of their homes, because they're going to have to explode them, they have to make sure that they can't be operational again. And the the um, uh, you know at the same time we see that Iran's Iran is moving their the missile um, the the, the uh, effort to. Uh, put on precision guidance systems on the missiles on the 130, 140,000 rockets that are in Hezbollah's um, possession in Lebanon to to add them, and they're building the factory there, let alone shipping in these things. So Israel has multiple agendas, and now it's clear that if Israel attacks Lebanon, it, it is not restricted because the Lebanese government must have known there must have been some collaboration. The idea, the UN and UNIFIL forces have not lived up to their responsibility, which is to stop the flow of arms, let alone building of tunnels, let alone the other equipment that has been brought um, to military equipment that is being brought into it. And the one in every three houses in in, in um, southern Lebanon has has a missile or some military, Hezbollah military placement in it, so these are not innocent civilians. These are, are these become military targets, and they, they should be put all on notice that the, and as Israel has, and given them fair warning that they will be that they will be targeted, and it, it shows that Iran continues. They continue to help their goal still of, of penetrating Israel and of threatening Israel from from the north, just as they do from Hamas and they do from uh, as they're building their presence in in Iraq and uh, certainly in Syria along the the entire border and the Jordanian border. So the the um, these tunnels are are were part of the strategy. It wasn't to defeat Israel, but it's in conjunction with the launching of missiles that they would come underground and above ground in a, in a multi-pronged attack. Wow. So the news that Iran is less involved in Syria is essentially irrelevant because they just put their forces in, in other areas of the of, of, of the areas near it Israel. It that they lessened their, their uh, presence, presence there, but that doesn't mean they didn't increase the militias. It right. doesn't mean that they didn't, the IRGC and the others aren't, using the forces, including the Syrian army now, which is taking over more area, and they've infiltrated that. The, the, um, um, so the, their footprint may be diminished in terms of direct, and that could be because of the economic pressures of the sanctions on Iran of not being able to keep it, and Hezbollah is, is complaining that they don't have enough money. In fact, they set up pushkas in, in stores in, in Lebanon to collect money to support the forces, and I don't know whether people really have a, a choice. You see Iran and North Korea this week announced that they're greater cooperation against the U.S., and they, they, the uh, Rouhani uh, appealed to the public for unity against the U.S. economic and psychological warfare. Clearly, all these things, the sanctions are having an impact, and the European efforts to bypass them are, are going to come to nil. The, the, you know, the German companies, what to me was most horrific, is that Half of the sales of all of these thousand companies that I mentioned um, 
are um, are chemical weapon, are chemicals, and one third of it is machinery and plant equipment, which we know can be dual use uh, equipment. So the uh, I mean I think the symbolism of that can't be lost on, on on people about what what it really means. So it's really critical for us to understand what what is going on in the north. Why the prime minister sometimes. It may go lighter on the response in Hamas not to have a two-front challenge at, at, at the same time because the the challenge from Hezbollah is a much greater one in terms of the intensity of what they have to to launch against Israel, uh, the potential of a conflict, which I think at this point they don't want. They know what the, the people of Lebanon certainly are not going to want it because they know what the consequences will be. But the Lebanese government has to take steps. The, Israeli, the Lebanese army has to take steps if if they uh, want to they they want to show that they are in fact not complicit in this. All right, a couple of quick notes. Uh, Jews in Europe, the poll says thirty eight percent of them contemplate leaving Europe. I think it's a high number, frankly, especially what you always point out that when you're in a you know when you're in a when you're in a host country, you don't always like to tell the pollsters that you actually want to leave. Don't you find it to be a high number? I'm not surprised because we've seen this number before. I have talked about it. I think it's a growing frustration with the uh, political situation in Europe. You know, when 40 percent of Brits say that they Jews will, will leave if Corbyn gets elected, um, we already saw this year 10 percent of the people Jewish community in Paris moved, not necessarily out of the country, but moved from where they live to another place because it's intolerable. The number of anti-Semitic attacks, as you see, uh, continues and frankly, it, it, we are, we are seeing it here increasingly. The the number of incidents there there's a, there is not a day when we don't get reports of a physical assault or something against whether on a campus in a community, and often in both that uh, the, the the numbers are are really quite um, are, are quite concerning, and the people in Europe are looking at this the extremism, the partisanship, the changing demographics of the countries. And that's reflected now in these polls. And you're right; it is it is not something Europeans would have said. A number of European Jews would have said right. a, a number of years ago. But they're not just saying it; they're acting on it. And just look at the cranes all along the, the cities of Israel, and every city in Israel, and the the Europeans buying uh, apartments and houses there or even elsewhere. Um, and finally, not only does Roger Waters keep Pink Floyd out of Israel, he's actually influenced the Pink Floyd tribute band to stay out of Israel. And I hope that everybody will do everything possible to send a message that, they, that we not support him, that he's on a, a tour, and because of pressure brought by Jewish communities in South America, they, he, he had to uh, commit not to say political things on the stage. Wow, that's good but, to know. But he has to, But he, the problem is that he continues to do it off stage. that he right. continues to be the primary... amongst the primary proponents of the... Uh, of, um, of BDS... And the um, uh, and trying to force others and putting pressure on other performers who announce that they will have uh, tours in Israel or perform in Israel, you know it doesn't change Israel if some rock band or whatever they are doesn't perform. It does add to the isolation and it does um, enhance this idea that somehow it is an illicit country. It's it's. Uh, um, different than all of the terrible places where he goes and performs and doesn't have any problem. So, you know, he does it purely for financial, but only when he singles out Israel for, um, 
you know, for for these discriminatory measures. All right, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a, oh, mazal tov on your grandson's wedding. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. God willing, be well. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. It's a Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayigash, candlelighting time at 4.09 here in New York. Expecting rain tonight and tomorrow in the New York area, but nothing will put a damper on the big simcha. Dr. Mark Singer's Ufruf is this Shabbos. We cannot wait to celebrate with him tonight and tomorrow. To him, to Dr. Mark, to Toby, to both their families, a major mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, many of you know, many of you know um, the relationship that Dr. Mark Singer has had with this program and with this network for a long, long, long time. And we are so happy that we get to celebrate such a wonderful simcha starting tonight. Mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. A Tuesday is Asar Bateves. Tuesday night after the fast, we're going to be broadcasting on the Nahum Single Network from Toronto. Wednesday morning from Toronto at the Aguda Shul as we uh, participate in charity C-H-A-R-I-D-Y Day up in Toronto, supporting their Eruv and uh, their Hatzala organization. Thursday morning, we're back in New York with JNF in Woodmere at Gotta Get a Bagel in Woodmere, New York, with the Jewish National Fund. We'll do the show from there, plus be at, at Achiezer's headquarters on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst, 11 a.m. that day, Thursday, this coming Thursday, for a live lunch. So there is a lot going on. We have a lot of traveling happening, and please continue to follow us, everybody, here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Don't forget, you can support our efforts. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and support us here at JM in the AM. Coming up at 9 a.m., table for two with Naomi Nachman. With Naomi, it's Gabi and Aaron Lazarowitz from All Shook Up. Shook is S-H-U-K, a company that imports product from Shul, from the Shuk Machani Yehuda in Israel. And the OUs are by Tzvi Ortner and Elian Tebbi from Zman Technology and Yisrael Schreiber from Town Appliance discussing the Shabbat mode for GE fridges. It's all, it's called a Shabbat Keeper. All of this at 9 o'clock during Table for Two. The Arab Shabbat Show with Mark Zomik brought to you by wonderful people at Kedem. And, of course, uh, all day long, the Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by wonderful people at Kedem. At 1 o'clock, it's uh, Harry Rothenberg with their video blog for Parshas Vayigash. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. And Sunday, Matis live, 7 a.m. Eastern time. Matis wine guest with JM Sunday, 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in here at the Nahum Siegel Network. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nahum. <clears throat> Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayigash. Parshas Vayigash is an especially emotional parsha whereby we have the reunification of Yosef, first of all, with his brothers, after Yehuda uh, provides a most powerful and emotional uh, speech before the viceroy of Egypt that wears him down. And clearly, what Yosef had wanted to do was the complete fulfillment of his second dream, whereby his father would come down and bow down to him. But Yosef's, quote, emotions get in the way. Yosef, one, reveals himself to his brothers. And we have that 
emotional encounter. And secondly, we have later on Yaakov coming down to Mitzrayim and father and son reunited after 22 years. And finally, we have at the end of the parsha, B'nai Yisrael down in Mitzrayim beginning the Shibud Mitzrayim, the sentence that was proclaimed to Abram Avinu at the Bris Ben Absorim back in Parshas Lech Lecha. And interestingly, and as a quick aside, our rabbis tell us, as we'll see again next week, but the last 17 years of Yaakov's life that he spends in Mitzrayim might very well have been his quote-unquote happiest years. Now, when Yaakov is on his way down to Mitzrayim, he's in Beersheba, and he's offering korbanos to Hashem at that time. Uh, some say that he was hoping that just as Hashem stopped his father from going down to Egypt, perhaps Hashem would stop him as well, and that the uh, decree of servitude could be fulfilled some other place other than Mitzrayim. And again, Hashem tells Yaakov that Legoi Gadol Asim Chasham it is just there in Mitzrayim, very counterintuitive, that you will become a great nation and you will not completely and totally assimilate. <coughs> Yaakov, at that time, the Torah says that Hashem appears to him, Bimaros Alayla, literally in a night vision, and he has a dream with a most magnificent prophecy. And the Beis HaLevi calls that prophecy, the promise of Hashem to Yaakov, as the greatest promise of all. Namely, that Hashem was inextricably binding himself with the destiny of Klal Yisrael. Now, what does that mean? It means that Hashem will only alter the laws of nature for the benefit of Am Yisrael, the Jewish people, meaning that this world functions olam kiminhago noheg. Hashem put nature into this world, and there is a certain hiddenness that Hashem provides to the world, giving man the opportunity to believe in God. If Hashem was more open than what he is, man would not have free will. Yet, at times, Hashem breaks the laws of nature and reveals himself. So Hashem promised Yaakov that this would happen only on behalf of the Jewish people. Namely, when a situation arises and Am Yisrael are in great danger and in need 
of salvation. At that time, Hashem will reveal Himself to the entire world and rescue the descendants of Yaakov. And this is how the Beis HaLevi understands the Pasuk in this week's parsha, chapter 46, Pasuk 2, whereby Hashem says, Pasuk 4, forgive me, Hashem says, Onochi ereid imcha mitzrayma, I shall descend with you to Egypt, and Onochi a'alcha gam olo, I will as well bring you up. Now, the Beis HaLevi understands this idea to mean Hashem was telling Yaakov that when you, the Jewish people, are down, when you are low in stature, when you are subjugated and persecuted, so kaveyochol am I. As it says in Tehillim 91.15, says Hashem, Imo onochi bitzara. And note is himself with that pronoun as Onochi. And conversely, Onochi Aalcha Gam Olo, I shall also surely bring you up, means not only literally up and out of Egypt, but that the glory of Hashem will be elevated, the glory of Hashem will be exalted throughout the world through the process of the Exodus through Yitzias Mitzrayim. And indeed, this is how the Beis HaLevi understands the essence of the Shira sung by B'nai Yisrael. And we, every morning prior to Yishtabach, cap the Psukkot Zimra by reciting with excitement the Shira, which they said upon their miraculous deliverance following the splitting of the Red Sea. Now, if I were to ask anybody, tell me, what is the essence of the Shira? So you're going to say that Hashem saved the Jewish people. And you're right. However, it's not until the last Pasuk that they proclaim that just just that, that the Jewish people went on dry land amidst the sea. Now the first 18 psukim of the Shira, what are they? They are a proud proclamation of thanksgiving to Hashem, that Hashem chose them as the vehicle by which His name and glory were exalted throughout the world. As in the Shira, Shamu Amim, Yir Gazun, Peoples throughout the world heard, and terror gripped the dwellers of Plishtim. We are to understand that though there was no CNN in those days, Chazal tell us that waters all over the world giving their babies, children, the water in that bathtub split as well. Rachav, when she 
tells the two spies that she hides at the beginning of the book of Yoshua, and she says to them, quote, For we have heard how Hashem dried up the water of the Sea of Reeds. And if we continue to see the prophecy that Hashem gave to Yaakov, that he would only alter nature for the benefit of Klal Yisrael. What do we find in the book of Doniel, the miraculous deliverance of Hananel, Mishael, and Azariah from the furnace that the Vuchadnezar Harasha had built in his honor, and that these three young tzaddikim refused to bow down to that statue. So we find that in front of everybody, when these tzaddikim were thrown into the furnace, everybody saw unbelievably the three of them literally walking around in the furnace with the presence of a malach. And this showed everyone once again, Imo Onochi Bitsara, that Hashem is there to rescue the Jewish people. And the magnificent glow of the eight lights of Hanukkah, <clears throat> which are still most fresh in our memories, as well as the bracha that we recited at that time, Sha'asanisim Lavosenu, that Hashem brought miracles for our forefathers. And we believe that there were two miracles to save the Jewish people. The first miracle was the military victory as Rabim Biad Ma'atim. The few prevailed over the many. Now, if there are and were those that did not visualize and realize that this victory was a miracle, Hashem performed the second miracle of the Pach Hashemen to illuminate and clearly abide by His promise to Yaakov of saving Kla Yisrael and proclaiming His absolute authority over nature that He created. And therefore, it's thus most understandable that Hashem introduced the revelation at Sinai with the word Onochi, the same pronoun that he used with Yaakov, as here too the whole world was aware that a revelation, a change in the natural order of this world was performed on behalf of Klai Yisrael, once again bringing glory to his essence. Now, if you think for a moment, what is somewhat challenging is the conversation at the burning bush. For almost a week's time, Hashem urges Moshe to accept the position of leadership and lead the slaves to freedom. Now, aside from Moshe's humility and sensitivity to his older brother, Moshe protests and says to Hashem, Mi Yonochi, literally this means, who am I? that I should go to Paro. However, in view of what we've been saying till now, the Anochi of Hashem to Yaakov, Moshe could very well be protesting and asking, wait a second, you said, Anochi Alcha, you 
and only you alone would raise them up. And Hashem answers, No, ki eye imach. I will be with you. There are times, and indeed most often, that Hashem works His wonders through man. And so, for example, on the great day, what day? November 29th, 1947, a man sat in the chair presiding over the United Nations as that momentous historical roll call took place. Now, who was sitting in that chair? And if your answer is President Orhana of Brazil, you're only half right. The Rav Zatzal suggested in his essay, Kol Dodido Fake, that it was none other than Anochi. And therefore, we should understand that the promise of Hashem to Yaakov is really both a privilege and a charge that every member of Klai Yisrael has to bring kavod, honor, and glory to his great name. And therefore, we close every tefillah with Oleinu. Now, upon reflection, wait a second. What's the essence of Oleinu L'Shabeach? Have we not been praising Hashem throughout the davening? And therefore, I believe what's happening now is as follows, that our prayers, our praise and requests have all been till now, directed towards Him. And now, as we are about to take leave of Hashem, of the Beis HaKnesses, we're declaring that we have a mission to do to the Sakin Olam to enhance and perfect this world under the sovereignty of Hashem. And therefore, our honest practices in business, our pleasant demeanor in interacting with people, our shalom bias at home, all serve to create greater manifestation of his anochi in this world. And therefore, the Kaddish, which is recited by the surviving sons after the passing of their loved one, in essence states, my relative in his lifetime, through his character and his actions, brought a Kiddush Hashem into this world. And therefore, with their passing, there's a void. And I will therefore attempt to bring Yizkadal v'Yizkadash into this world. Finally, we had, and when we had, a Beis HaMikdash, it was not only a place that unified all Jews, bringing them together for the Shalosh Rigalim, it was not only a place that one could bring a Karban and get closer to Hashem, it was a place where the whole world saw constant miracles as we find in Pirkei Avos, Perek Hay, Mishnah Zion, proclaiming His sovereignty and dominion over this world. And therefore, our fasting this coming Tuesday, Asara Beteves, which marks the beginning of the end of the first Beis Migdosh, is a reminder to us of what we are missing the Anochi, and an opportunity to daven and pine for the speedy return of the third base Hamigdash, wishing everyone who's able to fast a meaningful fast, one that's going to inspire us, therefore wishing all a Shabbat Shalom to all. Dear Ori Yikira, live a name.
in the AM with Baruch Levine that's brand new it's called Peduscha and that's his title track here at JM the AM Friday morning Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayigash Mazal Tov to Dr. Mark Singer on his big offer of this Shabbos looking forward to the big celebration candle lighting at 4.09 Tuesday is a fast day Tuesday night after the fast we broadcast from Toronto Canada then again Wednesday morning from Toronto big charity day in Toronto in support of the Erev and Hatzalah of Toronto so we'll be up there Wednesday, Tuesday night and Wednesday. Please tell your friends and relatives in Toronto to install the Nahum Siegel Network app on their smartphones so they can follow us and tune in. And everybody around the world, I hope you'll do the same. Thursday, we're in uh, Woodmere with the Jewish National Fund that got to get a bagel in Woodmere. We'll be there with JNF. They have a lot of big stuff going on. We'll speak with them. And um, also wanted to mention that Tuesday night in... Uh, Tuesday night in, um, where am I? In Toronto. <laughs> we'll be with kosher.com with our friends at kosher.com. Naomi Nachman is coming up next. Table for two. All Shook Up, a company that imports product from the Machane Yehuda Shook, is going to be featured, plus the OU's Rabbi Tzvi Ortner and Elian Tebbi from Zman Technology and Yisrael Schreiber from Town Appliance discussing the Shabbat mode for GE fridges. That's all coming up. 10 o'clock, the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. 1 p.m. for the video blog by um, Harry Rothenberg on the topic of Parshas Vayigash. And then our Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. And then Sunday, JM Sunday with Matis begins at 7 a.m. Eastern time live at the Nahum Seagull Network.
Pretty amazing. Ari Goldwag with Menucha Simcha here at JM in the AM. Time to wrap things up on this Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM on this Friday morning. Again, Mazal Tov to Dr. Mark Singer. The Big Ufruf is coming up on Shabbos tonight and tomorrow. We're going to be celebrating together. Mazal Tov to Dr. Mark. Mazal Tov to Toby. Mazal Tov to their families. So we get set for the Ufruf and uh, then the wedding coming up next week. Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos at JM in the AM. The sun is going down It's shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh Say good job is Cause all your work is done I'm Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do
Achenu Bishrael, Nachimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, NachumSegal.com, and the NachumSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Well, a reminder that um, uh, tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. Matas with JM Sunday, 7 a.m. Eastern time on uh, Sunday morning. We travel... We're in Toronto Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. Plenty of details early next week. We're at, with JNF on Thursday and then Achiezer Thursday afternoon out in the five towns. Again, more details at the beginning of next week. Make sure to be tuned in as our adventure continues. Asking everybody out there over the weekend, please, please sponsor part or all of a JMN broadcast or just donate and keep us going as we get to the end of 2018. Our year-end fundraisers in full force we're asking everybody to go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Be as generous as possible, fjbunity.org, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, and we thank you. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.